Hello, everyone. Welcome to another installment of Last Week in Space, the news edition of the Supercluster podcast. Today, I'm joined by Chris Gebhardt, launch reporter who is based at Cape Canaveral. And this week, we're going to be talking about Starlink, SpaceX's broadband constellation that they're about to start placing in orbit. And we're going to talk about the budget increase or the proposed budget increase on NASA's mission to land humans on the moon again. Chris, let's get this started. You're at Cape Canaveral. Last night, you were at the NASA Causeway awaiting launch. What happened? Yeah, so from a technical standpoint, everything was good to go with the rocket and with the 60 Starlink satellites for this pretty historic launch for SpaceX. But the upper-level wind limits were not in our favor last night. So because those winds were way too high and outside of the performance capabilities of the Falcon 9, We ended up scrubbing the launch, I believe, about 12 to 13 minutes before the scheduled liftoff time. So we have reset, uh, or SpaceX has reset, rather, and we'll be trying again tonight, Thursday, May 16th, a 90-minute window that opens at 10.30. So hopefully by the time you're all listening to this, all of our Starlinks are safely in orbit. Right. And the launch window, like you said, it's a 90-minute window. Last night, it was supposed to open at 10.30 p.m. Eastern, and then they moved it to 11 Right, Chris? And then they scrubbed 12 minutes before 11 p.m.? Yeah, so we were originally supposed to open the window at 10.30, and before they got into fueling, they pushed to 11. No specific reason was actually given for why, so we don't know if it was because of winds or or because of something on the ground that just needed a little bit more time. But then we actually did start fueling for the 11 o'clock launch, and yeah, scrubbed about 12 minutes before. Now, earlier in the day, a couple hours before scheduled liftoff from Cape Canaveral, Elon Musk held a conference call with a few dozen space journalists. Both Chris and I were on the call. The main theme of the call was Starlink is this experimental thing. It does mean a whole lot for SpaceX and their future, especially when it comes to funding their ultimate vision of getting humans to Mars. Elon Musk started the call by admitting that this launch could fail partially. Some of the Starlink satellites could fail or all of them could fail. And that's kind of how experimental this kind of technology is. But Chris, what were your big takeaways from that phone call? Yeah. So I, I think a lot of what Elon wished was doing yesterday was what he's done in the past with SpaceX's for, you know, the big firsts that the company has, right. has had. Downplay them. Yeah. And, and, you know, manage expectations for what this is, because there's a lot of new technology on these satellites, right? We've been launching satellites since the 1950s. We obviously know how to do that. But this is a brand new deployment mechanism that SpaceX is using for the Starlinks. It's not the normal payload separation process that we see where satellites just pop off the top of the second stage. This release mechanism is sort of releasing all 60 of them at the same time while the stage is spinning so that they sort of spread outward from one another like a deck of cards or, or like your, your lawn sprinkler moving across the lawn and the water doesn't hit the same spot. But this deployment mechanism is brand new and hasn't been tested in flight before. So that's a potential point where there might be an issue. The satellites could actually bump into one another as they're deploying off the second stage, though Elon Musk said that they were built to withstand that. It's a brand new ion propulsion technology, the first time Krypton fuel is being used as the power source. So you just start layering in all of these firsts, all of these firsts, and your chances of something not going exactly to plan arises. And that's a lot of what he was saying and trying to temper 
us for and, and get us ready for. But the biggest takeaway really is the aggressiveness for the Starlink campaign. There, there are 60 satellites on this particular launch, and there will more or less be 60 on all launches going forward. And they plan to put about a thousand of these things into orbit every single year, which is an insane number of, of satellites. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of Falcon 9 launches as well. It's a lot of Falcon 9 launches, yeah. With Starlink, there are going to be three different orbital altitudes that these satellites are in. So think of it as like concentric circles going out from Earth, and there's the lower circle, the middle circle, and the outer circle. And they're building the middle circle first, and that's going to be comprised of 1,584 satellites. So when you think about the fact that they're saying they can put 1,000 of those into orbit every year, we're only talking about a year and a half before that first orbital shell is complete if everything goes according to plan. And it's something like 24 flights of the Falcon 9 in order to complete that initial deployment of the Constellation. It's a lot of Falcon 9 launches, but they seem to be ready for that, and they really seem to be gearing up for it. Right, and I think, according to what Elon Musk was saying on the phone call yesterday, their ultimate vision, at least what this original plan was, to ultimately launch 12,000 of these satellites in those three orbits that you mentioned, Chris. But Elon Musk is hoping that by the time they get, I guess, a few thousand up there, their starship will be operable and they could launch many more of them and for cheaper. Yeah, that was a really interesting part of the phone call. So it, it costs more per Starlink satellite to launch it than it does to actually build them. And that's flying on an internal company-owned rocket, right, that's flown twice before. And even though SpaceX has been able, from what we know, to reduce the cost of a, of a Falcon 9 down to, I think the last figure we got from Elon was that a flight-proven Falcon 9 was going for around $50 million. 50 mil is what I heard, yeah. Yeah, Definitely. it's still more per satellite than it costs to actually build a satellite, but you can pack a lot more of them onto a Starship because Starship is will be bigger. Much bigger. And, yeah. and, and built to be far more robust in terms of reusability. Ex- We're talking exactly. about like the spaceship from science fiction films. It goes yeah. up, comes down, <laughs> goes up, comes down. Exactly. Everything we envisioned in the 50s is now becoming reality. <laughs> in terms of this broadband internet service, I think there's two major components. One is to serve rural areas they, that don't have access to high-speed broadband and the more broader market to have competitively priced broadband. But right before the phone call ended with Elon Musk, Marina Corin from The Atlantic asked if SpaceX would launch broadband satellites for their competitors. And Elon Musk immediately answered yes. And I think Which is um, a really cool part, yeah. Yeah, it, it's cool, but there's also a precedent. SpaceX has launched Boeing stuff before, Lockheed stuff, in terms of satellites. And Boeing built that secret space plane that they launched for the Air Force. The X-37, yeah, the mini space shuttle, yes. as I like to call it. <laughs> right. And it's not a strange thing for SpaceX to be launching competitor satellites or competitor spacecraft. I, I don't think they have that kind of culture at their company. I think they're into competition. They like seeing breakthroughs being made across the industry, even if it's not at their own company. They, they do. And, and I think a big case in point for this is back in 2016, the AMO-6 satellite, which was lost in the launch pad configuration at Slick 40, was an 
internet satellite, right, that was going to beam internet down to rural parts of the Middle East and Africa, among other things that it was built to do. And the kind of quote-unquote replacement for the Amos 6 satellite, Amos 17, is slated to launch on a Falcon 9 right now, no earlier than June. So it's not just that Elon said they were open to launching competitor space-based internet satellites they, they literally are yeah. so and, and you know the question i think was more geared toward the amazon announcement about a, i think it was a week and a half or two weeks ago that amazon is now also proposing this internet constellation of satellites up there if i had my money because amazon is owned by jeff bezos and blue origin is owned by mm-hmm. jeff bezos i would assume that those would be launching on new glenn rockets but there are something like five other companies out there working on space-based internet constellations right now and they're going to need launch vehicles. Going back to why, well, part of the reason why SpaceX is getting into the internet broadband business is to fund their deep space efforts. Starship, as you probably know, is a multi-purpose vehicle. It's basically a, a combination of Falcon and Dragon and all the technologies that they've proven with those two vehicles, especially the reusability aspect. Starship is being built very slowly right now in both Cape Canaveral and in Texas at a very basic level. They're testing engines and they're testing different things, more basic components of the spacecraft. But switching gears to NASA, NASA also has its eyes on deep space exploration or returning to deep space exploration beginning with the moon. And there's been a lot of talk these last few weeks about getting to the moon by 2024. On our last episode, we discussed Blue Origins Lunar Lander, which is sort of pivoting towards that NASA call. But um, uh, SpaceX, the, the, the only one pivoting toward that NASA call right, right. now, yes. <laughs> yeah. So this week there was some news. I think it was earlier in the week, NASA had put out a bulletin for a 7 p.m. media call to make this announcement that there was a budget increase to sort of help them push forward this moon mission for 2024. Before the 7 p.m. call, President Donald Trump tweeted, the great news said something like, we're going to restore NASA's greatness or something like that, which is not a language that I agree with. So yeah, there's been this budget increase. Chris, what is the underlying meaning of this increase? I feel like people are misreading it. They're saying, oh, we're getting billions of dollars to go to the moon, but that's not entirely the case. No. And before I answer that, I do want to touch on this because you did mention the oddity of how this all came to be. And It seemed like there was a tweet from Donald Trump announcing this, and then very shortly thereafter, at 6 p.m. on Monday, there was a, or just before 6 p.m., there was a a release from NASA to the media that there's going to be a teleconference in an hour to discuss. It seemed oddly rushed and and kind of haphazard in how it was announced to the general public, but the bottom line was that the announcement is that the White House was amending its fiscal year 2020 budget request to add an additional $1.6 billion to the NASA funding line, specifically with the goal that that money would be used for, in fiscal year 2020, to get us on that track to being able to land humans on the moon by 2024. The the obvious question with this was, where is that money going to come from? It was very clearly a, a budget increase, not asking NASA to pull that money from other projects, which prior administrations and even the Trump administration have asked NASA to do, usually at the detriment of science programs. And 
the answers, uh, a lot of really good reporters were able to track down the answer that that money is proposed to come from the Pell Grants, which is used to help underprivileged people pay for college education. And I know personally that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, that we're literally trying to take money away and prevent people from going to college or being able to afford to go to college and university to give NASA this money to do this scientific endeavor. But the bottom line... The budget increase, Chris, was it was $1.6 billion. Right. That's what they were requesting on the budget item line. Yeah, $1.6 billion with a B. Which is a huge increase for NASA. Let's be very clear on that. It's also a huge loss for the Pell Grant. It's a huge <laughs> loss for the Pell Grant, too, right? But the bottom line, if we set aside the arguments of how it's going to be paid for, is that at the end of the day, this is just a request, right? The, the way the U.S. federal appropriation process works is that the White House will provide its budget request for the next fiscal year to Congress, but then the House of Representatives and the Senate have to craft those spending bills. And I I honestly cannot think of a time when a White House budget went to Congress and was approved without any alterations or changes. Especially space budgets. Especially the space budget. Now, in the past few years, we have seen some interesting things where NASA has actually gotten slightly more funding than has been requested, which has been great for the agency to not have to take a lot of money away from science programs for human spaceflight initiatives. But I really don't see a path forward with our current Congress where this $1.6 billion coming from the Pell Grant is going to get through. Maybe Congress will have some other ideas of how to pull it and how to pay for it, but there's the other reality here that there are a lot of people who look at this lunar landing initiative that's sort of coupled with SLS in 2020 any way possible, making its maiden flight, that look at this as political ploys and political stunts to sort of help play into a re-election, and I'm not going to make a judgment as to whether or not that's true, but that's definitely part of the conversation and will be part of the conversation as Congress tries to decide exactly how much of NASA's proposed budget for the next fiscal year, which theoretically begins on October 1st if Congress can pass a budget in time, exactly how much of that requested funding is going to come through and where it's going to come from or what other government programs are going to have money taken away from them in order to pay for it. I mean, in terms of it being a political ploy, it's hard to argue that it's not. It's hard to argue the SLS part of it is not a political ploy specifically. Right. That's just a a program that's been doomed for a while and obviously a hot topic in the space industry. But when it comes to this moon mission, I just hope that there's an attention to the human safety aspect and not just rushing humans back to the moon by any means necessary. Yeah. The other part of it that was kind of interesting, and I think this was last week too, Bill Gerstenmeier, the NASA Associate Administrator for Human Exploration and Operations, was asked this question, I believe by Congress or a NASA Oversight Committee, I can't remember which one, because we had congressional hearings at the same time that NASA Oversight Committee hearings were happening. But he was asked this question about whether or not it was possible to land humans on the moon by 2024. And he said, yes, it is technically possible to do that, but we don't have spacesuits for them to wear. So we will literally be landing them but they won't be going outside the lander. And that gave a little more fuel to the fire, I would say, to this idea of questioning about why is this initiative actually being proposed. Right. Now, you mentioned Gersten, um, his concerns about the spacesuit. If I remember correctly, the NASA administrator, Jim Bridenstine, sort of pushed back against what he said and said that there were spacesuits. So I'm also getting a 
a muddled message from NASA as to what is going on in terms of the spacesuits and the and the possibility of this actually happening. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of it is NASA still trying to figure it out. I mean, are there spacesuits? Yes, there are. We we do have spacesuits. There were a lot of them that were left over at the end of the space shuttle program. These are EVA suits. EVA right, suits, yeah, the same suits we see our astronauts working outside the International Space Station on. We, you know, we certainly have them, but they're optimized for going outside of a spacecraft and holding on to railings and tethering yourself to things. They're not optimized for walking around and hopping around, as the case may be, on the moon. So I think this is an, an element of NASA still trying to figure out exactly how this is all going to work. And is the directive simply to land humans on the moon or is the directive to have them land and get out and do do a ceremonial walk around or do something or set up an experiment? I, I think all of this is still being worked out. The sort of confluence of issues here is that if we are really five years away from this, we kind of need to know that now for all of the like planning that needs to year. take place. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. I guess first things first is waiting to see if this budget increase gets improved. And that will be interesting to see all of those conversations happen in August and September. <laughs> right, <laughs> I know. So yeah, those were our big two news stories this week. Obviously, they're both geared towards getting humans back to deep space and paying for it. And I feel like NASA's way of going about it is unfortunately intertwined with administrations and Congress and things like that. And the commercial industry, even though there's supposed to be some degree of autonomy, the commercial space industry does also depend on public funding and both are intertwined together. Definitely. We'll have updates on that budget. And next week, we can talk about how the Starlink satellites are going in orbit. Maybe we'll have some info by then. But um, Chris, what other launches are coming up this week? Anything surprising? I feel like the Chinese always announce a surprise launch. Anything like that going on this week? Well, it's funny you should mention the Chinese announcing surprise launches. There were two in the last couple of days that sort of sprung up on us. So on Friday, actually, so hopefully the day that you're listening to this, at 11.50 in the morning Eastern Time, Eastern Daylight Time, China will be launching the Baidao 2 Global Positioning System satellite. So this is China's version of the GPS system that the U.S. has. And they're going to be launching this second generation satellite to go up and replace a a previously launched second generation Baidu 2 satellite. And that will be on Friday. And then on Monday, the Chinese will also be launching a Yaogan 33 satellite. And this is the more interesting one to me because this is one where Chinese state media say that the Yaogan series of satellites are scientific satellites and that they're meant for land observation, agricultural monitoring, and disaster relief and preparedness operations. But the Western world views these as military reconnaissance satellites. Spy satellites. Yeah, and there's some evidence that the Western world is correct on this, mainly being that nobody kind of knows what the Yaogan satellites look like because there are no images of them. And you tend to not classify scientific satellites. So, but anyway, that launch would be on Monday. We don't know the precise launch time yet, but we do know Monday is the target date for that. And Friday is the target date for the Bado 2 launches. And the reason we know this is not because China really releases a lot of information about this, but because the airspace closure notices have to be made publicly available to all pilots. And that's how we end up knowing when these launches are scheduled for. Look out for those two secret missions, which may or may not be spy missions. Uh, one, one may be. The Bidou is definitely a GPS satellite. <laughs> 
Okay, so at least we know one of them is not a spy satellite. Well, thank you for that update, Chris. And for our listeners, thank you for tuning in for another edition of Last Week in Space. We'll be back next week with some more updates for you. Thank you. Thank you.